Father, we thank you so much for your word, for the truth that is found in it. As we turn our hearts and our minds and our attention to your perfect word, God, we ask that you might speak to us. Spirit, that you might enlighten your words into our hearts. That your truth might shine forth. The truth of the gospel, Lord, might pierce to our very hearts. God, we love you so very much. and Lord, nobody's here to listen to a preacher. God, we're here that we might listen to you and to your words. So, Father, would you push me out of your way? Would you speak your word in spite of me? Spirit, we ask that you would teach us, that you would correct us, that you would encourage us, that you would equip us. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to you, God, our Father in heaven. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I hope that you do. I encourage you to take it and turn with me to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. The book of Psalms, a collection of about 150 Psalms, is right there in the middle of your Bible. So if you open towards the middle, you'll probably hit somewhere close to the book of Psalms. We're going to be looking together at Psalm 23 this morning. Feel free to borrow one of the Bibles in the back of the pew that's there in front of you if you don't have your own copy this morning. Or if you don't own your own copy of Scripture, feel free to take one out of the back of the pew there and just keep it as your own. We'll replenish and just count it as a gift from us to you. One thing that I discourage you from doing is taking those Bibles and writing profane and vulgar things in them that is inappropriate and should not be done at any point in time in our church service. Thank you very much for not doing that. You know who you are. God bless you. All right. With all that in mind, if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word? Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We come to Psalm 23 this morning. This is a psalm that if I'm being very blunt, very honest with you, I haven't spent a lot of time studying or diving into. This is a psalm that I have heard, I memorized as a kid. Many of you this morning probably could have quoted right along. You just might have added a little bit of these and thous along the way. Yea, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there's, there's 
A lot of us that grew up learning the King James Version and quoting it all through children's church and Sunday school. This is a very familiar passage, but because it is so familiar, probably one of the most familiar in Scripture, it loses a lot of meaning. It's just the 23rd Psalm. We often use it to punctuate the end of a funeral or a graveside service. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I've lost track of the number of funerals that I've read this very psalm at the graveside. They're surrounded by the family. It always gives comfort. It always is reassuring. But then again, in the back of our minds, it's, it's just the 23rd psalm. And so what I want to invite us to do this morning is to get past that this is something that may be very familiar with you if you have grown up in church or have been familiar with a church setting, as most of us have here in the south of Alabama. But I want us to look as best we can with fresh eyes, and I really just want to pay attention to the first two lines. We're not going to go very far. That's our simple outline. Verses Verse 1 of Psalm 23. We're not going to get down into him preparing a table before my enemies and anointing my head with oil. We're, we're just going to look at, at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. If you're looking for some sort of an outline to take notes with, point 1, the Lord is my shepherd. Point 2, I shall not want. It's just that simple. One of the things we cannot look past, though, is that David is the author. He was a shepherd. He also writes this before Jesus has shown up on the scene, before Jesus says in John chapter 10 that I am the good shepherd. This is a shepherd analogy long before Jesus began to say, no, 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 all those shepherd analogies were actually about me. But the shepherd analogy is something we cannot get away from in Scripture. You, you read four or five pages, you're bound to see something about a shepherd. Do, do you know that the translation of a pastor is shepherd? My position in this church is shepherd, which is not supposed to be a position of prominence. Throughout history, shepherds have not been an honorable type of profession or vocation. It was kind of a, a blue-collar, working-class vocation that just... People kept sheep. We need sheep, but nobody paid attention to the shepherds. Remember that Jesus announces the angels go to the shepherds. All over Scripture, we've got shepherd analogies. But what I want us to focus on is just the possessive. The Lord is not the shepherd. The Lord is not a shepherd. The possessive. The Lord is my shepherd. There is possession there, and it works both ways. Talking about the Lord belonging to us or us belonging to God is very common throughout Scripture. We talked about this past Wednesday night in the student ministry, the names of Elijah and Elisha. Anytime you find that Eli type of formulation at the beginning of a name or at the end of a name, El in Hebrew is the generic term for God. It's just the generic term for God. You can be referring to any God, but most of the time they say God is Yahweh, God is the Lord, the name of the Lord given to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. El is not that name. Yahweh is the name the Lord gave to Moses. But El is the word to refer to any God. That's actually Elijah's name. You see, the first people to translate names in Hebrew stuff were German guys. 
So all these German dudes are sitting around translating. And when you talk to somebody and they speak German, they say, ja for yes and nein for no. I've never heard anybody in German like say nine in a very like low key, placid, like nine, nine, nine. No, 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 that, that doesn't happen. Nine. That's just the way they say it. I don't know why, but German people, that's how they pronounce no. All right. So the J in German heritage in their language makes the ya sound. So when they say ya, ya, that's J-A-H, J-A-H. So I know that may seem like, okay, where are you going with this? Elijah is Eli. Yah, short for Yahweh. So Elijah's name is my God is Yahweh, the one true living God. There is a God and my God is Yahweh. That's what Elijah as a name means. My God is Yahweh. He's my God. Elisha is is so similar. The Hebrew word to save, Yasha. His name is tagged in on the end, Elisha, L for God. The I meaning it's not just some God, it's my God. My God will save. Elisha's name is proclaiming that our God is a God of salvation. And it's not just some generic God. It is my God, possessive. The Lord is my shepherd. And that is essential. I've read a book a couple of times and and I read it again in preparation for this coming Sunday, for this morning. It's by a guy named Philip Keller. There's a book that was written in the 70s. So some of you guys may have come across it a time or two. I, I don't know, but it's a look at Psalm 23. A shepherd looks at Psalm 23. A shepherd looks at Psalm 23. Philip tells all these incredible stories. He's a man that lived over in Great Britain and He purchased sheep. He decided to become a shepherd and he saved up and worked hard and purchased about 30 sheep. And that was the beginning of his flock. And I don't know about you guys, but have y'all ever saved up for something that then you purchased and it was absolutely cherished to you? I remember that when I graduated from seminary, my family went together and they bought me an iPad And I I preach out of an iPad. That's where all of my notes are. Uh, Maybe I'm just a little too technologically caught up or whatever, but I preach out of an iPad. That's where all my notes are stored, so I don't have to thumb through papers. And that iPad was as precious as silver and gold to me. It was my most cherished possession because I knew that there was no way on my own that I could afford an iPad. And now I didn't have to thumb through papers to preach. It was such a precious commodity to me. Well, one Memorial Day weekend, my mom and dad were getting together and and we were going. We had Micah and Luke. And, you know, if you've got two kids that are about 15 months apart, it's about like having twins. And getting everybody in the car is the greatest wrangling match ever. All right. Listen, Kevin, I I know that you have roped and ridden and, and caught some cattle. All right. But I feel like I'm right there with you in trying to wrangle these two and get them in the car. And then Jessica's trying to do all that she's got to do to get ready. And then I'm helping. And now everybody's angry. Ain't nothing going right. And I put that iPad right there on top of the car. I'll just, I'll just leave it here, I said. I'll just put it there, and then I'll get these kids strapped in with all the buckles that they got to put everywhere. There's a click and a click and a thing and a thing and a whoop and a zip and a whoop. And then we get in the car. All right, we're late. We're already 45 minutes late. I don't care. Let's just go. Let's go. And on the road we went and down the road. And there was a magnetic case on that iPad, and it held on to the top of that roof for a good while. And then as we made a turn, we heard a... 
I said, man, this car's making a weird noise. Let's just get on back to my mom and dad's house. We got there, and uh, lo and behold, it wasn't there. It wasn't on the roof anymore. I didn't remember till we got there. And I just remember how devastated I was because there was no way for me to replace it. There, there was, it was out of warranty. It was all my fault. I'm, I'm the dumb head that got everybody all excited and, and ah, let's just get in the car. Let's just go. And I ruined it. It, it was my most prized possession. Have, have you ever had a prized possession? Something you worked so hard to get. Something that you take care of because it is yours and it is precious because you know that you may not be able to afford it again. That's what happened with Philip Keller and his sheep. He worked and scrounged to be able to purchase these 30 sheep and they were his. You know what's impressive? It's the same thing with the Lord. We are precious to him, Not just because he designed us in our mother's wombs, not just because he knits us together and forms every cell in our body and orchestrates that every one of his children is born and created and he oversees their creation, a masterful artist. But it's also that even when we rebelled, even when we turned away from him, even when we spurned his love, his grace and his mercy and decided to do things on our own, he decided to buy us back. And boy, we weren't cheap. There's no such thing as cheap grace. It's way more expensive than some goofy iPad. Way more expensive than saving up for some precious truck or some precious vehicle or saving up for the house of your dreams. This is more than money could ever buy. He paid for us in his own son's blood. And so sometimes I think that we forget. I have a tendency to forget. Yes, I'm saved. Oh boy, Jesus loves me. I'm saved. I'm set free. I have liberty in Christ. This is so good. This is so wonderful. And I forget the fact that I belong to Him. I am His property. He can do with me whatever He wants because He bought me with His blood. He is my shepherd. I am His sheep. It is a mutual relationship of ownership. I am His because He is mine. And I think a lot of times I get in this place of entitlement, of, of, of getting to this place of, well, I deserve such and such or so and so, and I forget I deserve nothing. I'm his property. He owns me. And that is not a popular opinion in today's society. We like autonomy. We like personal freedom. I do what I want, when I want, how I want, where I want, with who I want. And God says, no, no, no. Forget that. I own you. Forget what you want. It's not about you. It's about your owner. I will take care of you. I will send you where I want you to go. And sometimes we get offended by that. Even saying it right now kind of makes me bow up just a little bit like, all right now, you know, I I got free will in here. I do what I want to do. Okay, the Lord did give us free will, but he also bought us. And sometimes we like to act like he has no say-so in our life. It's not just that he created us. It's a It's a double down. He went double or nothing on us, y'all. He created us and made us. Then when we rebelled, he spent the money to buy us back. That's why the book of Hosea is so beautiful. 
That's why it's so awesome, because Hosea gets married to this woman who is living a life of ill repute, buys her out of that kind of trafficking and slavery that she was stuck in, brings her to a nice home and gives her a wonderful life. And she has children and it is good. But what happens? She goes back to her old life of ill repute. She forgets. No, 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 no. He bought me out of that. I'm not going back. No, no, no. She says, I'd, I'd rather be there than here. And then God gives Hosea the craziest instruction. Go buy her again. <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. First off, you wanted me to get married to this woman. All right. This woman that everybody around town knows in the biblical sense. They know her well. All right. And I'm going to marry her. And now she done left me and run off. And you want me to buy her back? He says, yeah. Because that's what I did with you, Hosea. He says, because that's what I did with all of those who will be my church, who will be my children, who will be my Israel. He made us. We ran away. And He bought us back by His blood. We belong to Him. And it's something really special to belong to the Lord. Philip in that book talks about how when the time came, he had to make a mark on every one of those sheep. So he, he took each sheep one by one and he brought them in to the slaughterhouse. He laid their ear flat on this big block of wood and he cuts a very specific and unique mark that only his sheep will bear and he cuts it into their ears. And they're absolutely mortified. They bleat like a... Ah, ah, ah. It's a terrible, horrible process for the sheep. But from that point on, he, as their owner, as their shepherd, can look out across the flock and know, whoop, we got a strange one in here. I pointed at Ted for a reason, y'all. Don't, don't miss that. That was on purpose. We got a strange one in here. He can know at a glance which are his sheep and which are not. And folks, we, we may not have some sort of mark in our ears, some sort of auger that he bored through our heads that said, you belong to me. But he, he bought us and adopted us. And there are marks of being in his flock. You know, we talked about it in Galatians, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the marks that people ought to be able to look and at a glance at our life tell who we belong to. Do we belong to this world? Do we belong to our sin? Do we belong to our flesh? Do we belong to Satan? Or do we belong to the shepherd, the good shepherd? Jason went to John 10. He he didn't know that I had John 10 planned in this sermon. But look with me at John 10, verses 14 and 15. John 10, verses 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd is the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. There's a mark that he knows who are his and he knows who is not. And those of us who are his, we know him. We trust that He is our shepherd. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And then, again, I lay down my life for the sheep. It's not just that, that verb, that, that, not the verb, but that article there, for the sheep. 
That preposition is, is there not just for the sake of the sheep, but for the purchase of the sheep. It's not just that Jesus dies defending the sheep. It's that he gives his life so that he might own the sheep. So this morning, I know we can say really quick and really easy, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We can quote this, but I wonder, as we continue, is the Lord your shepherd? Do you belong to him, or have you refused his grace? Are you still in a state of going? I know that there is a good shepherd. I know that there's a shepherd that would love me and care for me and lead me in green pastures and carry me beside still waters. But I know that that's the good shepherd. It's not my shepherd. Can you say with honesty that the Lord is your shepherd? So then let's move to the next statement. I shall not want. Boy, what a tough statement. What does that mean? Should we, should we turn immediately? The Lord is my shepherd. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I'm going to have everything I want. We're going to make it rain because I got all the money in the world. I'm going to have a 17,000 square foot house driving up in a Lamborghini. It's going to be good. I got everything I want because the Lord is my shepherd. And I'm just going to do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want, because my shepherd is going to foot the bill. Hey, y'all, there's some places you could go where that's what they're going to say. That's, that's how they're going to interpret this passage. Build the barn bigger. Make the party bigger. Make the house bigger. Buy a nicer car. The Lord doesn't desire that you be in want. The Lord desires that you have everything that you want. That's not the truth of this passage. The Lord is my shepherd. And so I shall not want, as Philip writes, I shall not lack the expert care and management of my master. I shall not want means I shall not lack the expert care and management of my master. You see, the problem with Gomer is that she was not content with Hosea. You see, this I shall not want deals with our contentment. And Gomer was not content being a mom and a wife. Gomer wanted to go back to her other lifestyle, so she goes back into her life of ill repute. She's discontented. Have you guys ever met a kid that had everything they wanted, that had so many ways to entertain themselves, and yet they sat there and looked at you and said, I'm really bored there's just nothing to do. I'm just so tired of this iPad. I just am tired of my Switch. I'm tired of my PlayStation 7. I'm tired of my Xbox 720, 1080, 970, 640. I'm so tired of the new virtual reality thing that I got. I'm so tired of this truck. I'm just bored. That's us. It doesn't matter how much we get. It doesn't matter how much or how little we have. Somehow or another, we always find a way to be those people that need that one more thing. I'll just be happy if I could just get that one more thing. And then we get it, and then five minutes later, so what's next? Uh, I'm just, uh, there's just nothing to do. If the Lord is my shepherd, 
I may not have all the material possessions in the world. I may not have everything that there is to have. And trust me, I was that kid. I was spoiled rotten. All right. I was nine years younger than my sister, eight years younger than my brother and all my grandparents. Everybody just doted on me like crazy. Anything I wanted, I had. I could sit in the living room in front of the TV and I could yell at my mother, fix me a drink. And my mama would hop to it like she was some sort of maid and she'd run in there. Is this the drink that you wanted, sweet pea? Boy, howdy, I had a good life, right? But I was that kid. (sighs) What's the new toy that's coming out? Isn't there a new video game coming out? I was rotten. I hope I've gotten better. (laughs) I don't know. I hope so. But that's, that's you and me. Whether we've got everything in the world or whether we've got nothing, there's always something else that we want or that we need to be content. And the Lord doesn't say, I'm your shepherd, so you're going to have everything that your heart could ever desire. He says, I'm going to give you what you need. I'm going to give you what's necessary. This is David writing, I shall not want. The man who had to hide from King Saul in caves, right? The man who had to go... Weeks, months, maybe a year surviving off of whatever he could get from the land. Was so hungry one time he ate the bread of the presence as he was on his way to hide in another cave. David knew that I shall not want doesn't mean I get everything that I want. David wanted to build a palace for the Lord and call it a temple. He wanted to build this great building. The Lord said, no, no, that's not for you to do. There's too much blood on your hands. David knew and understood what it meant not to have everything that he wanted, and yet he writes, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, and I will be content with the fact that the Lord is my shepherd. Listen to how Paul describes this in Philippians chapter 4. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in, To be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. Abundance and need. Paul could say that because the Lord was and is his shepherd. There's a right way and a wrong way to abound and be wealthy. And be affluent. There's a right way and a wrong way to be impoverished. To have a difficult and hard life. You guys have met those people, right? There's wonderful people who are the most generous people you'll ever meet. And God has blessed them with plenty. And they are wise, awesome stewards of what God has given them. And they are content whether all that is there or whether all of it got pulled out from under them tomorrow morning. They're content because they know the Lord is their shepherd. And then there's people who they think that all that wealth and all those material possessions is what makes them important, is what makes them who they are. It's part of their identity. And when that identity is pulled from them, they fall apart. There's people who are less than wealthy, if you will, that think, if I could just be wealthy, I'd be happy. I'd be fine. It'd be good. And then there's people who have next to nothing. There are people all over the world who live on less than a dollar a day. And some of them are the most content and happy and joy-filled people you will ever meet. Most of the ones who know how to abound and be content and be brought low and be content, it's because the Lord is their shepherd. 
Listen, there are times that as Christians we're going to suffer. There are times as Christians we're going to be persecuted. There are times where some Christians will abound and some will suffer. But can we say with certainty that because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not lack the expert care and management of my shepherd, of my master. This morning, who do you belong to? And what do you want? Who do you belong to? And what do you want? Is your identity found first and foremost in your shepherd? Or is your identity found first and foremost in who you are, with or without the Lord? Do you find yourself content regardless of what you have or don't? Or do you find that constantly you are in want? And I would suggest to you that if the times in your life where you want more than you are satisfied are overwhelming, maybe you don't have the right shepherd. So this morning, who do you belong to and what do you want? The Lord is the good shepherd. and He never lets those out of his grasp that are his. Do you want to belong to him? Because if you belong to him, you shall not want anything else. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your mercy. God, thank you for making us and then buying us back. God, thank you that you paid for us in the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that for all who would call upon your name, that we are owned by you. We belong to you. You are ours and we are yours. Help us, Lord, to submit to you, to find our identity in your ownership of us. Lord, if there's anyone here that can't say with confidence and certainty that they belong to you, if there's anyone here this morning, or watching online for that matter, Lord, anyone that couldn't say, the Lord is my shepherd. They could read those words, but it wouldn't be true for them. Would you change their hearts? Draw them unto yourself. Father, for those of us who find ourselves in constant want, would you help us to remember that you're our shepherd? Would you help us to remember that we have constant care, expert care, from you, the good shepherd? Help us to trust and to be content with what you have given us and what you have not given us. Help us to remember that no matter what we have, that we want you to be our shepherd and to be content in that knowledge and in that grace. Lord, we're going into a time of response and we ask that you would move and that we would respond in obedience. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ.